0: an interview episode of the retro game time machine podcast this week time travelers i am interviewing greg Sewart of generation 16 the player one podcast and electronic gaming monthly fame i am mash the newton and joining me through a series of tubes is greg Sewart. hello thanks for having me hey thanks so much for being here i'm i am i'm very excited right now
1: <laughs> no pressure though
0: yeah, no, no, no pressure. Um, but, uh, but yeah, really, thanks so much for being here. I mean, i've I've listened to the Player One podcast not since you guys first started, but, uh, probably for the better part of at least twelve years now.
1: I like to think that uh, where our listenership is is generally older, but you know, uh, we've been around for half of a lot of their lives, so it's been around like fifteen years at this point.
0: Yeah, it's you
1: know?
0: it's wild. I started listening to you guys because all of a sudden I was, I was dating somebody who lived far away um, and was like, I need more podcasts to listen to. (laughs) And uh, you guys have survived. It's impressive.
1: Yeah. Through, through sheer force of will, uh, I would say. (laughs) Um, But yeah, no, I, thanks. I appreciate that. I mean, that's, it's always nice to hear that people are like us enough to keep listening.
0: Yeah, of course. Um, I've I've fallen a little bit behind lately because I don't have a commute, but mm. um, still still catching up.
1: <laughs> yeah, I think that happened to a lot of people over the last couple of years. I'm the same way. I I'm not a big podcast listener, but when I had a daily commute, uh, that's where I listened, and now I don't, and so I I don't anymore. I'm yeah. way behind in all my podcasts now. Yeah, I used to
0: listen to like five and now I'm down to like one and well, one being the player one podcast and then like kind of casually I'll listen to little things here and there like an episode or two from different uh, different shows. But anyway, I digress. The reason we are here is so I can ask you some questions. Um, So first question is well, and i guess i did this last time with the the previous guest i guess it's not really a question more so than a statement slash request <laughs> uh, tell me the folks at home a bit about what you do in the gaming space
1: <clears throat> i don't um i don't officially work in the gaming space anymore actually uh up until okay. a few years ago though i did I, I was the director of the games division at uh, my current company uh unfortunately that division doesn't um exist anymore but previous to that um since leaving the the games media almost 20 years ago now. Uh, I was a developer at various in various forms. Um, started as a level designer on PlayStation 2 and Xbox games and then moved on uh, and became a, a general game designer um, and moved up to a producer, assistant producer and producer. So that's been my that was my career uh, up until very recently, like I said, where I was a director and then um, that that unfortunately that division shut down. But other than that, obviously my my role in the gaming space has been as um, I don't know pundit, I guess you could say podcaster. Anyway, old man podcaster, you know this is it's uh, dad gamers. That's that's who I represent at yeah. this point. So,
0: and in and, and just to throw it out there for everyone, just in case you the folks at home aren't already familiar. Should check out Generation Sixteen. I was just watching, and maybe this isn't specifically part of Generation Sixteen, but I was just watching your top one hundred games. Mm. Um, I'm in, I'm in, I'm down into the the seventies right now. I haven't <laughs> haven't made it all the way through yet. But, okay, uh,
1: there's a good uh, chance I'm going to ruin the end of that video for you during our discussion. <laughs> but uh, I'm glad to okay, hear you're watching. That's it.
0: fine. Yeah, that's fine. I actually, uh, as I was going through it saw that you'd put road avenger in there and i oh, yeah. never heard of that until i saw you streaming that on twitch a while back and i think you were playing the the laser active version right? yes
1: yeah uh one of my prized possessions actually is uh that game of course most people have played it on the sega cd that's where everyone knows it from and everyone knows that crazy theme song from the sega cd version that's where i knew it from and uh but you spoke about generation 16 and sort of one of the side projects that I'm doing, it's still part of generation 16, but I kind of wanted to cover it is covering the laser active. And so I've been trying to gather, gather together those games because you can't emulate that system. Yeah. Um, and boy, some of them are expensive and hard and a lot of them are very hard to get. So when I managed to get my hands on road Avenger or road prosecutor, as it was called on the laser active, um, yeah, it's very excited. because it's one of my favorite games in general, as you just mentioned. It's on my yeah. top 100. So, yeah, I, I'm uh, I, I was super happy to get that. And man, it's it's an interesting version. But playing it with like uh, that great analog video, um, which is, you know, originally it was a laser disc game in the arcade. Um, you don't have to deal with all the digital artifacting and all the low color palette and everything like that. It's it's so great. I love it.
0: Yeah, it's made me want to get like a mega SD so that I can check out mm. the Sega CD version of it um, alright well I guess first official question for you is what's something about you that most people familiar with your work wouldn't know
1: I actually when I when you sent this question I really struggled with it because I've been you know sort of well doing the podcast for 15 years and been That's very true yeah and and been very open about my life and you know and, uh, divorce and, and parents and history and everything like that. But one of the things that I thought of that I, I don't think I talk about very often is I was actually a radio announcer for a while, um, which I don't think a lot of people know. So I, I was the traffic... The traffic reporter for a local new, news talk radio station here in here in Halifax for cool. less than a year. I went to school for broadcasting. I went back to yeah. school for broadcasting, and that was one of the jobs I landed when I got out of school. Um, I loved it. It didn't pay well, and the hours were terrible. Um, you know, up at like three a.m. and stuff like oh, that. Yeah. But there was something about, and I did it because we'd been doing the podcast, and that's why I decided to go back to. To school and go to broadcasting school because I enjoyed it so much and sort of sitting in that little booth and and I had the whole booth to myself. It was just one of the perks of that job. It was great. I loved it. I absolutely loved it, but didn't pay the bills, so had to move yeah. on. Yeah,
0: but that's cool. Yeah. Um. Let's see. Second, or sorry, next question for you is what? Well, I'm going to add to this. The question is what made you start a podcast, streaming, creating <clears> content, but also, I guess, going back before that. What made you want to start writing about games?
1: Um, it was honestly reading video game magazines when I was a kid. Um, obviously, well, not obviously, I haven't said how old I am, but the internet wasn't a thing when I was a kid. Um, so, you know, we got all our information from game magazines and I I just uh, would devour them monthly and as I got a little older, got it like, you know, got to a high school age and I was a, I was a decent student and I was a decent writer and I started reading those magazines more critically. And everyone sort of talks about the golden age of, of, of games media. But if you go back into the early nineties, it's pretty hit and miss. And one of the things that I sort of got into my head was like, Hey, I, I can do this. Like I can absolutely do what these guys do. And, um, Unfortunately, where I was from, uh, which is in Nova Scotia, you didn't have a whole lot of opportunities. You know, if you weren't back then, if you didn't live in like California or you didn't live in um, Illinois or, you know, um, wherever Game Informer is located, Minneapolis, maybe. Anyway, if you didn't live in one of those places or you didn't live near there, especially being a Canadian kid, it was not like it was easy to just pick up and move to one of those places and get a job. You didn't really have that opportunity. It's not like it is now. Right. Um, so that was sort of the dawn of the internet right around the time I was out of college, um, really gave me that opportunity. Uh, so, you know, meeting people on Usenet on news groups and things like that, um, sort of synced up with a couple of like-minded people and somebody who was starting a website about Saturn games. So this was like, yeah, the the mid nineties and just saying like, I need reviewers. And I jumped at it um, because I was living on my own at the time, didn't have a girlfriend or anything like that. I was working in a video game rental store, so I had massive access to a bunch of games that I didn't have to yeah. buy. So I just literally got into this situation where I was bringing games home from the store and playing them, reviewing them on the site. And it just sort of grew from there and then got, uh, again, hooked up with the right people and managed to meet a bunch of people who worked at Ziff Davis through, uh, a, a, a chat channel called vid games. And um, and that's that's sort of how I got into it after that.
0: That's amazing. Um, and then what what prompted uh, what Excuse prompted me. the podcast and what what prompted Generation 16?
1: So the podcast was mostly because once I'd left uh, EG, I left EGM just around the time that one was becoming a thing. And, um, of course the one up show was happening and one up yours was happening and, and sports anomaly and sort of all their, all their podcasts, podcasts were becoming a big thing. And I wasn't really paying attention to them. Um, but I did listen to a few of them every now and then. And out of everyone at EGM that I worked with, uh, Chris Johnston and I were very close. Um, we worked like from day one, when I first started working at EGM, he was sort of in the next, uh, pod over and we just we just, yeah, we, we, we shared a lot of interests and we hung out with each other all the time. And soon after I left, he left, um, to go to, uh, Texas and anyway, kept in touch with him, played games with him constantly, especially like burnout and things like that. We played all the time online. So we were always chatting. It was just something that we were always doing. And when we were playing, you know, we were both really still deeply ensconced in the video game industry. It's like, you know, I'm still buying everything. And we were still getting some games from companies and things like that. So we always had access to things. Always following the news really closely, you know, um, and that's all we would talk about. And at one point, I don't remember which one of us it was. And I think it was because he had come up here for my wedding and we were just sitting around chatting. And um, at one point, one of us suggested you know, like, we could do what they're doing. On one up yours. There's no, you know, and people. I think people might listen to it because at that point it hadn't been that long since we left the magazine, so we were still kind of known names. Yeah, and um, so that was it. We decided we were going to try it, and we both had the head the headsets that came with Socom on the PlayStation Two, and that's what we used as our microphones for the very first episode. (laughs) And just, we, we enjoy doing it because again, one of the things I think, and the reason that our show has lasted so long is because, and we brought Phil Theobald in as well, again, another very dear friend, um, is that we would be having those chats anyway. Yeah. So it's easy to keep going because it's just like, we're checking in with a friend every week and, you know, hanging out and talking for an hour or an hour and a half. So, but yeah, that, that was how it started. We, we saw what they were doing at one up and said, you know what, we could do that. And uh, it didn't cost anything except for some some um well, not even headsets because we own those, <laughs> yeah, you know uh, and and we just we just went for it
0: that's amazing, all right um, so next question for you is what year did you begin your gaming journey, and then I do have I guess two follow ups to it, like also, what was your first game, and what was the first game that you wanted for yourself?
1: So I don't know exactly what year I started my gaming journey, um, but I, I don't remember a time when we didn't have video games, okay, in the house. So I was I was born in the late '70s, and um, I remember we had an Atari Twenty Six Hundred in the house. Um, thinking I I wish this was a question I wish I'd asked my father before he passed because I still to this day have no idea why we had an Atari twenty six hundred. It's not my my father was not the kind of person who would buy something like that. Yeah. I talked to my mom about that actually a year or so ago and just said, like, do you have any recollection of that? And she said, honestly, it was just one of those things where, you know, video games were, were big and you didn't need to be a nerd to want to have an Atari. So it's kind of like, I think he just got one, you know, cause it was a hot thing to have. Plus yeah. um, his youngest brother was like 18 or 17 at the time that that thing came out. And my dad, my, my father's father had passed away right around the time that my uncle was still in his teens. So my dad kind of became his father figure. Okay. So I think it was a little bit of a, like, you know, he's into video games. I'm going to buy him a video game console. And it just ended up living at our house. So yeah, I remember playing that when I was like super young, like four or five years old. And the first game I have any real, real strong memory of is combat on the Atari 2600 with my brother. And I used to play that with each other all the time. So yeah, and it just kind of grew from there. I mean, my stepdad uh, a few years later was also had a, a twenty six hundred with a ton of games. So anytime we went to visit my mom and him, we would be playing those too. Um, but I think the first game I ever wanted for myself was um, Super Mario Brothers. Because you know, like the, the the crash happened. Although I could never have told you yeah. that was a thing because I was yeah. seven. But, um, you know, I was that's I was the right age when when the NES came out that it was the hot toy. And I was like, you know, seven or eight years old. What well, would it kind of Eighty five. So I would have been nine years old and all the kids at the school at school had them and all the kids were yeah. talking about it. And you go to a friend's house and they had Mario Brothers and it's like, oh man, I want that so bad. I want that so bad. So that was when I kind of fell in love with video gaming. I always liked it. But that, you know, when we got our Nintendo and Mario Brothers and Duck Hunt. Um, that's when I was like, I'm a gamer now. (laughs) This is, this is what I want to do. This is what I like to do. And yeah, but that was the first one that I remember specifically asking my dad, like, I I want a Nintendo. I want Super Mario Brothers.
0: That's what did it. That was the hook, line and sinker.
1: Oh my God. And, (laughs) and immediate friends the day after, like literally, literally (laughs) I, one of my best friends growing up, that was how our friendship happened was we were at school and he was a kid that I'd gone to school with and we were friends, but we weren't, you know, like super close. And he was talking to somebody else about Mario and he was stuck somewhere. And it happened to be where I'd been playing the level I'd into the night before. And I said, oh, this is what I did. And he turned and said, you have a Nintendo? And I was like, "Yep." <laughs> we were like best friends from that moment on. So.
0: Oh, that's amazing. Yeah. yeah. I remember having a, a friend that he, he kind of became my friend because he had a Sega Genesis and I mm-hmm. didn't, I had a Nintendo, but I was like, uh, wait, I can play Sonic at your house. We should be friends.
1: <laughs> yeah. I absolutely had something similar. Like I was a little bit older when the Genesis became a thing, but I was one of the, one of the first people in my group of friends who had a Genesis. So, but for us up here, it was NHL hockey. When NHL oh, yeah. hockey came out on the Genesis, um, I had so many friends who just, they wanted <laughs> to come over to play NHL cause you couldn't play it on super Nintendo. Right.
0: Oh, that's amazing. Yeah. Um, Let's see. Next question, though. You did uh, already answer the first part of this. um, But the question is, did you read any video game magazines growing up? And if so, which ones? And did you have a subscription?
1: Uh, Yeah. So, yeah, I mentioned I I read EGM pretty faithfully. Uh, I read GamePro pretty faithfully as well. Um, Gameplayers. If anyone remembers GamePlayer, I think it was GamePlayer or GamePlayers magazine, they used to have like only one half of the magazine was in color. And then the back half was like black and white, like newsprint style paper. Um, and then, you know, getting further in diehard game fan, I was a big fan of, especially because I was a Sega kid by the 90s. So and they were very pro Sega and very pro Sega CD um, and next generation when that came out again i was the right age oh, yeah. it's like i'm getting into my you know mid to late teens this magazine feels more aimed at me than like GamePro does um the only subscription i ever remember having is nintendo power okay yeah which um again this is a story i've told on our show a couple of times but i, I still always like to tell it is that so here in canada we had what was called nintendo power flash which was just like a little eight page free newsletter and it was literally pages from Nintendo power. But like the letters were all the letters from like Canadian kids and stuff like that. But like, you know, like I remember my cousin had a bunch of issues of it where it was um, the maps from Nintendo power for Zelda two were in like the, I think across two issues of, of Nintendo power flash and Zelda two was one of the first games I got for my Nintendo. So he gave me those issues of power flash and that was the free, That was the free magazine that you could sign up for when you got an NES. Okay. So whatever year it was that the Mega Man 2 issue of Nintendo Power hit, they sent everyone who had a Power Flash subscription a free copy of that magazine, like unannounced. It just showed up in the mail one day. And I happened to have the chicken pox when that showed up. So my dad, like, threw the magazine on my bed one morning because, you know, this was the 80s. So, of course, I'm 12. That means I'm old enough to stay home alone the whole day. Yeah. Um, of course. <laughs> and I spent the whole day just poring over that issue. And I, like, I, I memorized the maps for Mega Man 2. And I, that was the issue that covered Faxanadu, uh, which I went and bought based on the maps in that issue. And after I read the magazine, I, I begged my dad, like, I can, I, I, I want to get a subscription. I have to get a subscription to this. So I had a Nintendo Power subscription for probably well into the Super Nintendo years, even though I didn't even have a Super Nintendo for a couple years after it came out. So yeah, that was the main one that I had a subscription to, though.
0: Awesome. Um, let's see. The next question I have for you is: What was the first gaming console or device that you bought with your own money?
1: Um. I had a paper route so I could afford GoBots, Transformers, and NES games to rent NES games mostly. But um, the first one that I got with my own money, the first system would have been the Genesis. Okay. Um, And I ended up doing that by um, trading uh, with people to the point that I had sort of enough to trade into a store to buy myself a Genesis along with a little bit of money that I'd save. Cause I had a game boy in 1989. I got a game boy and I had like 30 games for it by like 91. Oh wow. Yeah, I don't know how I did that. And um, I don't know. I don't think I stole any of them. No. <laughs> um, And yeah, anyway, I ended up trading a bunch of them into a local game shop that took trade ins, which was sort of a newish thing at the time around here. And got a Genesis after I'd rented it a couple of times. So, yeah, the Genesis was the first system I ever bought with my own money.
0: I'm not surprised.
1: Yeah. <laughs> and here's the result. So, yes. Yeah.
0: Um. All right. The next question I have for you is, did you have video rental stores nearby and did you rent games? And then I do have a couple follow ups, but I'll sure. It at that for now.
1: Um, yeah, I rented games. Well, that guy that I was talking about, Dave was his name. And um, after I got my Nintendo and we started hanging out, we literally hung out like every week, every weekend. And that was sort of our plan. We would go to this place called National Video, which was close enough for us to ride our bikes to and uh, rent an NES game for the weekend. Um and just try to play through it. So that was kind of like my, especially in the summers. Those were my weekends. Was was playing NES games at Dave's place because he had a TV in his room. That was the best part. So yeah. Um, but yeah. So we would go there to National Video, and um, that was where I spent a lot of my childhood renting games. When I started renting Genesis games, um, there was actually this this rental slash sales game sales store called Game World. Uh, in the next town over, but it happened to be right down the street from where my family, uh, my uncle drove a, a race car for many years. And so that's where we house the car. I go over with my dad on the weekends to help work on the car. And then I sort of excuse myself like halfway through the day and go down to this Game World store and hang out. And I mean... They had NES as well, but they also had like Genesis and Neo Geo and and Turbo Graphics and like they had every that was the whole point. They had every system and they always had them on display and nice. the guys there were cool so they put in games for you to play. I played Nam 75 there for the first time and stuff like that. So, yeah, that's uh that's where I ended up hanging out a lot, but I mostly rented from National Video when I was a kid.
0: Awesome. Um, any standout memories from the video rental experience? I mean, that sounds like maybe one, but
1: <laughs> yeah, that was a that was a major one. But I mean, a few of the things that that happened at that store too. Well, actually, not at that store. Before I discovered that place, there was another place in town that was the first place I ever saw that rented Genesis around here. And um, I remember talking my dad into putting down the deposit because you had to put like a two hundred dollar deposit down to rent oh, a game yeah. system. Um, so he agreed to that and we rented the Genesis with Forgotten Worlds and Super Monaco GP. And, um, I remember that because that was the night that I decided I wanted to buy a Genesis with Super Monaco GP. I'm a big racing fan in general. And that game was like nothing I'd ever seen on a home console game before. Um, Forgotten Worlds was okay, but Monaco GP, I I fell in love with. I remember taking that Genesis around to like four different friends places because I was like, you got to see this game. You got to see this game and um playing monaco gp with them but yeah that was a direct line there was a direct line from that night to me buying a genesis because of that game so and then the other the other memory that i have it's not really a rental memory but it is at that game world store um being a super like sega genesis kid at that point um i was very 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 excited for the sega cd to come out and um I saved my money for that. And it was back then around here, it was weird because we didn't, well, back then in general, we didn't really have standard um, release dates for things. Yeah. You know, it's not like it is now. I mean, like you had things like Mortal Monday or Sonic Tuesday. Yeah. But those were the exception to the rule. And then on top of that, being sort of on the East Coast of Canada, you never knew when something was going to show up. You, you know, so you generally knew when something was supposed to be released, but you never knew for sure if it was going to be here. So me being like, oh, I can't wait. I don't want to wait. Um, I, my aunt happened to be going down to Florida on a trip right when the Sega CD was going to be released. So I gave her my money and it just like, you know, buy the Sega CD, pack it up, ship it home. I want it as fast as I can get it. So <clears throat> that's what we did. And um, it showed up. I remember the day it showed up. And I took it out of the box, and I hooked it up, and I turned it on, and nothing happened. Oh, no. It didn't work. Um, which found out later that apparently in that first batch of Sega CD units, there was something that would happen if they got turned upside down in shipping. Oh, no. Um, they would sometimes not work and actually if you look at an original sega cd box you'll see there are little arrows on the box that that are basically this side up um so it just didn't work just wouldn't work so i went over to game world with it because at that time um one of the guys who worked there jim we had become very good friends and i just went over to say like you know it's not working maybe you can take a look at it is there anything you can do with it and um I happened to be there showing this to Jim. Jim looked at it and he's like, you know, I can't, I mean, he wasn't a tech guy. He's like, I, I, there's nothing I can do. I can't, I can't fix it. I don't know how to fix it. And, uh, they had a stack of Sega CDs for sale at the store at that time. And the owner of the store, whose name was Owen, Owen Craig happened to walk in and he didn't really know me, but he just looked at Jim and says like, what's going on? And he said, well, Greg here is customer. And he just, he bought a Sega CD down in the States and it doesn't work. Right. Right. And he just sort of looked at me, and he looked at Jim, and he looked at the pile of Sega CDs in the corner, and he just pointed and says, "Give him one of ours." I'm like, "What? That's so, amazing." Yeah, it was it that's was so very kind. Yeah, so I was I was elated, and it became one of my favorite systems. I mean, yeah, so not really a rental story, but it happened at a rental store. No, but
0: that's amazing. So. <laughs> that's yeah, that's so kind of them to do that.
1: Yeah, very much.
0: Um, let's see anything, anything else I ever hear about the rental experience? Oh uh, yeah. Is there a game that you were excited to rent and then regretted it as soon as you got home and actually got to play it?
1: Um, I can't think of anything like in particular, I'm sure that happened a lot because there were so many terrible, uh, NES games and Genesis games that you would just sort of rent based on the box art alone. The same reason why uh, yeah. I never rented Mega Man until I realized that Mega Man 2 was so good, right? Oh,
0: yeah, cuz that's that's some weird box art.
1: Right. So I mean, I'm sure that happened a lot. I have a purchase story that's similar though, and again, it goes back to Game World. Okay. Um again, the Sega CD, being a big Sega CD fan, uh I went in and bought Time Gal for the Sega CD, which is another full motion video, like a LaserDisc Arcade game that came okay. to the Sega CD. And um, I wasn't old enough to drive at the time, so my my dad had dropped me off, and I bought the game, and I think I had to wait half an hour for my dad to come back and pick me up. So I asked uh, Jim at the counter, I was like, you know, do you mind if I play the game? Like, we'll put it in the demo unit, and I'll play it. And He's like, yeah, go ahead. And just as my dad pulled up to the door, I finished the game. <laughs> it's like, man. And it was like a hundred bucks, like oh, after man. tax and everything. It was, oh, I was so destroyed. I'm like, well, okay. I just beat this. I could have rented <laughs> it for like five bucks. Oh man. I guess I own time gal now. <laughs> so yeah, it happened.
0: Yeah. Uh, let's see. And Oh, uh, last one about the rental experience. Any games that you bought after being surprised by the rental at like at how good it was?
1: Yeah, I would go back to Mega Man, to be honest. Um, so that issue of Nintendo power, I, when I saw Mega Man 2, I was like, well, I've got to play this, you know, and a couple of my buddies were exactly the same. It's like, we've got to get, get this. And of course, I think everyone must have been the same because that game was impossible to rent for the longest time around here anyway. Excuse me, but Mega Man was always in, the original Mega Man, um, assuming, again, because of that terrible cover. And I'd I passed it by for years um, on the shelf. And it's like, well, I mean, it's the same series. Let's give it a shot. And my buddy and I rented it and just fell in love with it. And I mean, I didn't buy it immediately, but I did end up buying it. I ended up you know, being a Mega Man super fan. I, I bought all of them. So I, I would say that, that's the one that stands out for sure. It's still
0: hard for me to get into the original Mega Man. It's not an easy game. No, it's not. It's so hard.
1: (laughs) Yep. Was Uh, the Dark Souls of its time?
0: Yeah. I I mean, it's, yeah, it's funny. I finally just started playing a Souls-like game recently, playing Bloodborne, Ah. and just was beating my head against the wall, and then something finally clicked, and I'm like, oh. I guess I like these now.
1: (laughs) Yeah. That always seems to be the way with those games. It hasn't happened for me, but I hear that story a lot. Yeah. It's like, oh, there's uh, this, this something happened and now I'm good at this and I like it.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, for me, it was realizing that, I actually needed to save my, like, save the souls that I've collected to use them to level my character up. Oh, and that my weapon broke, and that's why I was so weak.
1: <laughs> nice. It's
0: like once I leveled up a little bit and fixed my weapon, I was like, oh, this game doesn't suck anymore. This is great. <laughs> <laughs> um. All right. Uh, the next question I have for you is: Were you a loyalist to any particular platform?
1: I mean, I think you're gonna know my answer to this. Um, yeah, I mean, I was, I was a Genesis loyalist. Um, I was an NES before that, but I mean, that was easy because, you know, I don't really think that you, you shunned other systems because you had an NES. No. Uh, the other systems really weren't worth owning. Uh, yeah. when you had an NES, I mean, you know, that's really the long and the short of it. Um, and I didn't really have access to them. A lot of us didn't, um, Genesis I I again I fell in love with it when I rented it and I was waiting for Super Nintendo like I every month they would talk about Super Nintendo in Nintendo Power and the other magazines I read and I was like yeah I'm I'm doing it I'm going to I'm going to wait for Super Nintendo totally and I really don't remember what changed my mind but then I got it in my head it's like well, I'm going to try the Genesis and see if I like it and fell in love with it and stuck with it. I don't think I got a Super Nintendo until like 93 or 94. Okay. And then kind of that carried on with um, with the Saturn. Uh, I was all in on the Saturn. Uh, from the word go, I didn't think the PlayStation was going to be anything because Sony ImageSoft didn't make good games. Yeah. So, you know, um, so I, I pre-ordered a Saturn and I got a Saturn. And I mean, I, I will not sit here and say that the PlayStation ne- wasn't necessarily the better system. Uh, it had a better library at the very least. Yeah. And I did end up buying one eventually, but I was hardcore Saturn all the way. I was importing games for it. I would sit there and, and argue to I was blue in the face that the Saturn was the better console and had the better games and, you know, I mean, it's debatable now. You can still make that argument, but back then, I wasn't hearing anything else. You know, I was like, nope, Saturn, all the way, Saturn, best system ever. So, yeah, I mean, th- those were, that was probably it. But I mean, even in those, even at that time in the nineties, you know, like I was a Genesis kid, but I did buy a super Nintendo yeah, because I wanted to play, you know, final fantasy VI and stuff like that. And I was a Saturn kid, but I did buy a PlayStation cause I wanted yeah. to play, you know, F one, I think was the series I wanted to play on that system. And then after that, um, I was kind of into the games media at that point. So it was just like, Oh, all systems don't yes. care. Just going to get them all.
0: All systems go. Yeah. Um, awesome. Let's see. The next one that I've got for you is do you have an all time favorite game or gaming franchise, or heck, you can you can answer both.
1: Well, I mean, I'm gonna ruin that video for you, but Streets of Rage 2 is my all time favorite game ever. So good. Yeah, it really is. So good. Yeah, it's just um, you know, again, and being that Genesis kid, comparing that to like Final Fight. Or any other beat em up.
0: There's there's there, not a comparison from that. No comparison. At
1: all. No, not at all. Exactly. And I mean the music too, that to me, that's the best best Yuzo Koshiro soundtrack in history. Um I listen yeah. to it regularly. And uh yeah, I, I just don't get tired of it. I don't get tired of playing that game. And that was we were so into that game. My friend uh, Jim and I, the guy that worked at Game World, who were still very good friends. I would go hang out at his place when I was older and and I would hang out with him at the store while his shift ended. And of course we would check, we got into this routine where he would check and see if streets of rage two was in when his shift was over and we were closing the store, we'd take it home with us. It didn't matter how many times we'd played it. He'd just look at me and say something like, you want to rage? And I was like, "Yep." And we grabbed the game and we go back to his place and we crank it up, especially, um, the track, uh, expander, which is on the, um, the elevator level.
0: Oh yeah, and oh. we played
1: on Mania and just go berserk on that game like twice a week, and I'm, I've never gotten tired of that game. It's just ah, it's it's great. Yeah, it's, so good.
0: It, oh my god, like, it's funny. Like I know that I played it when I was growing up, and I think I played it via Sega Channel. I but nice. it wasn't. It really wasn't until when I was listening to Back in My Play. And hearing Kevin Larrabee just mm-hmm. gush about the soundtrack. And I, I didn't really remember it from the bits that I had played when I was younger. So then I was fortunate enough to be able to pick up uh, a copy of the game from my local game shop. And just, I've been in love with that ever since. I, I've i said it, I've said it on this podcast so many times, but I have the I have the soundtrack on vinyl. <laughs> Me too. It's so good. The one from Data Discs.
1: Yep. I was just, I, I bought a new turntable the other day and that was the first thing I put on. it. actually, if yes. you, if you follow me on Twitter, it was like, you know, I put, I posted a picture of the turntable and, and, um, uh, I forget his name. He's the guy who, who does this, uh, YouTube series called "A question of character, which is a fun series. If you've never seen it. No, I'm not familiar. Um, I, I recommend it. And, um, anyway, he was just like, well, what, what did you play on it first? And then the next picture was a picture of that <laughs> disc spinning on it. It's like, I mean, was there ever any doubt? That was the first thing I was going to put on it. Yeah. It's so, so great. Yeah. I mean,
0: in the, it, I don't know what's better, the game or the soundtrack, like the actual <sighs> gameplay or Hard the soundtrack.
1: To <laughs> Hard to say. It's so supremely playable. It It's so beautifully mixed. To me, it felt like it mixed sort of the best of brawlers because uh, the, the first Streets of Rage was great, great too, but it felt like they took a step toward like Street Fighter style controls. Yeah. And it worked, right? And, of course, the graphics were, I mean, just amazing. Everything was amazing. I love that game so much. Yeah. Oh, yeah.
0: Um, all right. The next question I've got for you is, have your gaming tastes changed over the years? And if yes, how?
1: Yeah, they absolutely have. Um, and my answer to questions like this used to be a lot different, um, but I'll explain that in a minute. Sure. But, yeah, so, like, when I was a kid... Um, and even when I was a teenager in my early twenties too, especially not being married at an early age, uh, or, you know, or having a very active social life, I guess, um, I was very much like, I want to play everything. If I'm even remotely interested in it, I'm going to play it. I'm going to rent it or buy it depending on what stage of my life I was in. Um, you know, that's the reason I sort of got into writing about video games for a living and reviewing them. I played everything. Yeah. And if it was difficult, too difficult, I didn't care. I'd work as hard as I could to, to get good at something like Mega Man. Excuse me, as the example from earlier on, I must have pounded my head against the screen fighting the yellow devil or whatever that thing is actually called. But I kept doing it until I beat it. Like, you know, and yeah. to this day, I can still get through that game, legitimately get through that game. Um, but I couldn't like Bloodborne. I couldn't make it past the first boss and I didn't care to make it past the first boss. You know what I mean? So I feel like as I've gotten older, um, I used to say that my time has become more precious and I'm not interested in I, I, I want to make progress when I play something. Yeah. I, I don't want to, you know, like I don't want to be stuck on that boss from Mega Man one for three months. Oh, yeah. I'm not interested. Right. Um, but recently one of our listeners uh who uh goes by the hacker alias of Scoop Joey, I've had this discussion with him and I I mentioned that to him at one point and he he's like, Man, I, I hate when people say that. You know, and I was like, Well, what do you what do you mean? And it's like, it's not that you it's not that your time is more precious, it's that you've chosen to use your time in different ways. Because it because when you say that your time is more precious, it kind of um uh, minimizes or or almost uh, infantilizes or however you want to say, whatever you want to say. Those of us who are in our 30s or 40s who do still pour a lot of time into video games. It's like he was speaking about himself. It's like I choose to pour hundreds of hours into games. That doesn't yeah. make me not an adult you know, it's just yeah. um, I've made that conscious choice it, it, at the sort of, you know, I've given up other things or I don't do certain other things so I can make time for games. And he's like, you know, and you've chosen to prioritize certain things so that you making less time for games. There's nothing wrong with that either. But so that really when he said that, it really made me think is like, yeah, you know what? You're absolutely right. And I've been sort of passively judging people who can put hundreds of hours into games who also have kids and and significant others and jobs and it's like well no it's just you you've made that time you've found that time um but for me personally yes it has my tastes have changed to the point where I really only play what I want to play at this point which sounds so weird but it's true I don't no, I don't I, I know um, what you mean by that <laughs> yeah, I'm not fully immersed in the the video in video game news anymore um, and you know if I'm not playing the newest latest thing right when it comes out, I don't care as much. It's really what I'm you know what I'm really interested in or i'm I'm, I'm just as happy playing very old stuff now too. and I think having this uh, podcast as well running for as long as it has. I find it very interesting because if you go back and listen to our earliest episodes where it's just CJ and I, it is all, it, it does sound like us aping one up yours. It's all the latest news and we're playing all the latest games, new games every week. What are you yeah. playing this week? Well, I bought this and this and I'm playing those. And and it's like, you know, it really feels like what the podcasts, again, the the, the pro podcasts were back then. Yeah. If you listen to our episodes now, it's very much like a, a very chill, like three, three dads, you know. Playing what I want. I uh, don't care that this game I'm talking about came out three years ago. Don't care that I'm not playing, you know, uh, Bloodborne or or yeah. uh, Elder, or whatever the the, the yeah, new Elden, one is that Elden came Elden
0: Ring that just came Elden out. Elden
1: Ring. You're not going to hear about that on our show. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. And it's it's okay. We're okay with that. So that's kind of how my gaming tastes have changed. I'm I'm not playing genres I'm don't want to play anymore.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I uh I've I, I feel like I've I've heard of that progression of you guys uh mm-hmm. through the show as well. And I can I can definitely relate to that because sometimes I get swept up in the hype of a new game. Like I'm I, oh, I, I sure. have a little bit of FOMO right now with Elden Ring. I'm I'm considering it. But at the same time, like I don't know, there's so many there's too many games and there's not enough time. So yeah, I'm, just, absolutely. I'm just trying to be more choosy with what I'm getting into and uh yeah in in my own podcast when we talk about the things that we've been playing I'm like yeah we've played this new thing but then I've also been playing this game from 30 years ago because I never finished it before and now I just kind of want to
1: (laughs) right and that's one of the things too going back to your earlier question about content creation um because I I stream now three nights a week and honestly I mean it's mainly because of um raising money for extra life. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's a, a cause that's very dear to me, but also a good excuse to play. I have a big game collection because I've been buying games for f- 35 years or more. And, you know, part of the gaming press for quite a while. So you, you tend to pick up a lot of games that way and it's an excuse to play them. And yeah, like this past week I finished Vandal hearts nice. for the PlayStation one. I mean, the games, yeah. yeah. And you know, it's a great game, but it's, almost three decades old. Yeah. And that's what you're going to hear about on our next episode, because that's what I've been playing, you know, not, not Elden Ring, Vandal Hearts, this old PlayStation RPG. So, but it's an excuse to do it. It's an excuse to get in there and play some old stuff and play through it. And I love it.
0: Yeah. That's, that's kind of what I've been doing with uh, some of the streaming I've been doing lately as well. Like I finally just beat DuckTales for the NES for the first time.
1: Great game.
0: And, uh, and a hook on the super Nintendo. (laughs) Those hitboxes are terrible, though. <laughs>
1: yeah. Yeah. I think I like that game more than it deserves. Yeah. But yeah, I still like that game.
0: Yeah. I yeah I, I enjoyed it. But man, I was pissed off at the end at Captain Hook when I was trying to jump over him. And it's like, no, the aura, the aura around my feet somehow touched one of his hairs. Mm -hmm. So anyway. (laughs) Um, All right. The next question I have for you is how has gaming influenced your life? I mean, it sounds like quite a bit.
1: (laughs) Yeah. I mean, you know, uh, I I managed to be very lucky that I made a career out of it. Um, Again, it's not how I make my living now. Yeah. um, Which I kind of love too because uh, the pressure isn't there. I can sort of do what I want as far as content creation goes or not create content at all. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, it's... It influenced my life in in a way, in such a way that I felt like I could make a living either talking about them or making them. And uh, I've been very lucky that I managed to, you know, be in that industry for 20 some odd years and and make a living out of it. So, I mean, there's not really much, (laughs) much more specific answer I can give there.
0: That's fine. Now that 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 totally works for me. All right, next question uh, is: What is your favorite controller pre Xbox Three Hundred and Sixty? Like and uh, PS Three generation?
1: Ah, uh, the Genesis Six Button Pad. Nice. Yeah, I mean that was um, when when Street Fighter Two became a thing. Uh, I, I still to this day I, I suck playing that game with a Super Nintendo Pad, um, and I enjoy joystick because I wasn't really a big arcade goer at that time. Okay but when it came out on the Genesis with that six button pad, Oh, so playable. So good. I I got pretty good at the game. I I loved playing it. And yeah, I mean, that's, that's just a, I mean, I I have one right here. Yeah. It's it's a, it's a controller. Yeah.
0: I'm sad that I didn't have one until I became an adult. I didn't, I mean, I think I knew they existed, but I had two, three button Genesis controllers with my model two Genesis growing up. And, uh,
1: yeah, how did you play Street Fighter or Mortal Kombat
0: on my Super Nintendo?
1: Okay, there you go.
0: Which like it's not i not as ideal having to use the shoulder buttons, but it's better than having to what I think you had to press start oh, to switch between yeah. like punches and kicks.
1: It was bad. <laughs> it was it was it was not I don't know why they ever thought that was a good idea.
0: Yeah, that was my least favorite thing about the Genesis was just mm-hmm. the the three-button controller. Like yep. I I had had a SNES for a little while or for a couple of years. Uh, and that was, that was the only thing where I'm like, how, but why? I mean, I guess some games are okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, all right. Next question I have for you is, are there any games that you appreciate now that you did not appreciate when you were younger?
1: Um, you know, nothing springs to mind, but I will say doing uh, generation 16 has helped me in that regard. Um, because, Right now in that show uh, where it's, I'm going chronologically for the most part, I didn't get a Genesis until 1991. Uh, it was right before Sonic came out. I was I was the idiot that bought it just before Sonic became a pack-in. <laughs> um, so I have my copy of Altered Beast. Uh, oh. Speaking of another game that you finish in <laughs> 20 minutes. But um, I didn't have a lot of experience with sort of the pre-Sonic Genesis games. Because, I mean, you know, 91, the system had been out here for for over two years yeah. in North America. So, you know, I mean, I played Altered Beast and I played Super Monaco GP and Forgotten Worlds and a couple of other games, but I hadn't played a lot. So um, going back nowadays and playing things like uh, Mystic Defender actually jumps to mind pretty fast. It's a great sort of Castlevania-style action game that I remember seeing ads for all the time, but I never played it. And it's, it's really really not bad. Like I, I really enjoyed it when I was playing it for the show. Um, and there's like a whole host of games like that where it's like, well, this is, I've never played this before. This is really good. Like, you know, I, 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 I wasn't expecting that. So, um, for the most part, stuff like that, I find, yeah, I'd say mystic defender is the one that pops out right away, but I'm sure there's lots of other ones. You know, there's been so many opportunities to go back and play. Oh, um, another one that I played recently, uh, was rainbow islands which is a sequel to Bubble Bobble, that again, oh, I okay. I had no idea was a thing. I think I tried it, an import of it once. It never came here on the Genesis. I, I don't know if it came here on anything else, but i had never really played it before. But again, like it's one of those games that I played it when I was younger and I was like, yeah, that's all right. And going back and playing it and really sort of taking it apart and learning that like it has this really, really interesting power up system that requires you to get gems in certain colors at certain order and all that sort of thing. And it just sort of opens the game up to a, uh, a level that you don't expect when you play it for the first time. Little things like that. I, I find that I've, I've been learning over the last couple of years by covering those games for for Generation 16. So, yeah.
0: All right. Well, they, let's see. The next question I have for you is, uh, do you have a favorite gaming mascot? Sonic. I figured. <laughs> <laughs>
1: I, yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, I want to say Mario actually. Um, but well, cause he's had more consistently good games for the last (laughs) Uh, 30 or 40 years, (laughs) but, um, no Sonic, Sonic definitely, again, spoke to me. I was the right age for Sonic when it happened. Right. I mean, I was in my mid teens. I was the, I was the audience they were going for, you know, teenage boys, Mario's lame. He's for little kids. You know, that's what my little brother, my little brother plays. Um, I want something cool. And Sonic was cool. And he was a great character. He's a great character design. I mean, you know, for all the for all the problems his games have had and and he's had over the years, the way Sega's handled him. It's a great character design.
0: Yeah. Sonic is still definitely cool. I mean, he was cool enough to make me finally get a Genesis After
1: you and so many other people, yeah,
0: after after drooling over my friends playing Sonic one and Sonic two, I got the the Sonic three Genesis pack in. Oh, wow. Um, Yeah, I was I was late to the game with the Genesis. I think I got it in like early 94. Um,
1: Just in time for the new systems to come
0: out. Yeah, just in time for the Saturn to come out the following year. Um, But no, I I, actually it's funny. I did get the Saturn for about a week. It was the, (laughs) it was the pack in with the three games. Um, Oh yeah. But the N64 had just come out and I had just been playing it at a friend's house. And I was like, you know what? I think I'm going to return this to target and get the N64 instead.
1: Mario 64 uh, was a hell of a drug for sure. I mean, I remember I was working for a a game rental shop when um, that came out and this place before i was an employee they had imported an n64 with mario 64 cuz i think it was only that and pilot wings that you could get anyway yeah and um i rented it and played through it and then i ended up working for this guy and i took the system home and played through it again over a weekend and then when the thing was released in north america I bought one day one with Mario 64 and played through the game again. I mean, that game was so good. Yeah. It's so good.
0: So now I, this isn't one of my pre-prepared questions, but now I'm just curious. What, what do you think about Sonic Adventure?
1: <sighs> Sonic Adventure, I think sits in that interesting space where when you're taken out of the time that it was released it's pretty bad you know what i mean like you you look at that game now and it's like boy i just they did they were not successful in bringing sonic to 3d at all no um when it came out though i was willing to look past those problems um because it did look good and it did play okay yeah Right. I mean, you have to think back to the fact that when that came out, 3D action games, they've been around for a few years, but they yeah. were still really in their infancy. Yeah, that's true. And yeah, you know, and I mean, one of my favorite 3D action games up until that point was Tomb Raider and Tomb Raider is just Prince of Persia in 3D, Um, you know, and you're still it's it's all tank controls, you know, yeah. <laughs> and and so was Resident Evil. And so were so many of those games. And Mario was like the shining light, but it was definitely the exception to the rule yeah so i was willing to look past i think a lot of us were willing to look past a lot of foibles with with sonic adventure back then but now turning that on oh it's i can't even play it it's really (laughs) not good and i think the biggest tragedy there though was that sonic adventure 2 was worse
0: really i haven't i haven't played 2 oh
1: it's it's so much worse and that, I think, was the, you know, again, first time Sonic was in 3D, willing to look past a lot of that. The next game will be better. Yeah. And then Sonic Adventure 2 comes out and it's like, mm, this is not as good as the last one. That's too bad. That's that's very sad. Because, yeah, yeah. Uh,
0: Andy, Andy and I played it for our show and we did it, I don't know, sometime within the past six months. And I've owned it since it was fairly new for the Dreamcast, but I know that I got to a certain part. And then just kind of stopped because I got frustrated or something. And then we've come back and we've played it for the podcast. And the, the, just the general tone of the episode was, Sonic, I'm not mad. I'm just disappointed.
1: Yes, <laughs> absolutely. And, and and then on top of that, the fact that the best part of that game is playing as Sonic. And you get through that so quickly. And yeah. then you've got all that Garbage to sift through to finish the game and on the, top of yeah, everything. and
0: then you replay basically the same thing as tails. Yep. And I just I I didn't actually end up finishing it because I couldn't uh, I couldn't finish as well. Now I can't remember his name, the big uh the big guy. Crap, big the cat, big the cat. There we go. Yes, I couldn't yep. I couldn't catch the stupid frog.
1: <laughs> yep. Oh, awful. So just awful. Yeah.
0: So not mad, just disappointed. <laughs> Um. All right. Uh, next question I have for you is, do you have a favorite item from your game collection? Now, this can be a game. It can be a system. It can be memorabilia. It can be whatever.
1: Um. Yeah, I, I was looking at this and, and the first thing that sprung to mind was systems because, again, because of Generation 16, I've taken some time to collect different Genesis hardware. Um, so I have a few things in my collection that I'm pretty proud of. Uh, we talked about earlier, like the pioneer laser active. Yeah. I'm so glad I have one of those. Um, I don't know a lot of people who have them. Um, I didn't
0: know it existed until I saw your wonderful video about the laser active, which oh, cool. people who are listening, if you've not seen it and are like, what the hell are they talking about? Go watch it. It's, it's so well done. I gotta say, <laughs> um, thank you very much. Yeah, no, it's it's a it's a great video, and it was very very educational.
1: Yeah, I I that is by far the the video I'm the most proud of on my channel. Um, so I'm it makes me so happy to hear you say that because that was like a year's worth of work. I was so. So happy when I, I was done with that. I can see that that, it, that was a year's worth of work. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it's a it's a cool, interesting. I knew about it for years, but I just never had one, and it's a cool, interesting system. Um, and then, like, there's a couple of like I have a a, a mega jet, which was like the the Japanese. Um, it's a portable Mega Drive uh, that they originally released as part of a plug. This into the uh, the television on a flight. And, you, oh. you know, it's the it's pretty much the basis for the Nomad. OK, it sort of morphed into the Nomad years later. But the Megajet is it's literally just this little portable Genesis where the system and the controller are all one piece and you just plug it into a TV and play it. OK. Um, another thing that I lusted after for years that I finally got is the Iowa boom box. So it's literally a Iowa a, 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 AIWA yeah. had this this boom like ghetto blaster boom box um that was like you know radio cassette and cd but they released a version of it that has a a little piece on the bottom with a jumper cable that will play mega drive games oh my god and it converts the cd player converted the cd player into a mega cd player oh my god really Yeah, I would show you on the, it's, it's, you can't see, well, you can kind of see it just peeking up over the, yeah, yeah, so that purple thing is a, is a, it's, it's a ghetto blaster, but it's a mega drive.
0: That's amazing.
1: So, yeah. And um, I think probably my, my favorite uh, piece that's back there as well, you can't really see it in that case is a, is a Samsung Aladdin boy because it was the hardest thing to get. So uh, in South Korea. Um, at least in the 90s, and I actually did an episode on this uh, because I I find it so fascinating. Nintendo and Sega didn't release their consoles themselves um, because there was a law, and I don't know if it still exists, but there was a law in the books that was a remnant of World War II where um, Japanese companies weren't allowed to sell, like, I think Japanese cultural imports is what it was called in that country. So a local company had to license these things and release them themselves. So a company called Hyundai, which I've since learned is not the car company, but a company called Hyundai released Nintendo's consoles. And I forget what they were called. They, they weren't called NES and Super NES. Oh, yeah. But Samsung Samsung released Sega's consoles. And they released them under the name... Um, originally, they released them under the name Game Boy. So the Master System, master system was released as the Samsung Game Boy. Oh, man. And then the Genesis was released as the Samsung Super Game Boy. Um, but then about halfway through the Genesis life, they rebranded all of it and called them Aladdin and Ala- Aladdin Boy. And I think it has to do with the fact that they were selling computers called Aladdin Computers oh, okay. at that point. So they just rebranded it all. But really, really, I found any very difficult to get um, when I was sort of buying up Genesis hardware because you just... You, you, you couldn't get them. Um, on. E- you never found them on eBay or yeah. anything like that. And uh, I just happened to have a friend whose wife is Korean, South Korean, and a- actually like from there. So they go back there to visit her parents every now and then. And I don't know how it came up in conversation, but he, I think he just mentioned to me, like, I'm going to South Korea. Is there something, is there anything you'd be interested in there, like video game wise? And they're like, oh my God can you get me an Aladdin boy or, or a Game Boy, right? And he said it was funny because when he did find one for sale there um, and asked for it, he had to prove to the shop owner that he was married to a Korean woman before they would sell it to him. Really? Yeah, and, I, and not that that's a law or anything, no, but it's just like that's when he asked about it, it was just like, you know, because he's this six nine white dude <laughs> and the shop owner was just like, no, I'm not selling it to you. And then he had to sort of say like, no, but I'm, my, my wife is Korean, you know, and that was kind of what convinced him to sell the thing. (laughs) Yeah. So like I really (laughs) treasure it because it just, it it has that story that comes with it. I've never turned the thing on. I don't even know if it works, Yeah, but I I have it. That's that's um, awesome. Yeah. It was a lot of hoops to jump through to get it. But yeah, other than that, I mean, um there's no there's no sort of uh, video gaming memorabilia that really jumps out I have sort of the standard stuff like you know the the um the galleon boxing puppet from lunar and stuff like that and I don't know if you've ever heard of that thing but yeah, a few things that I gathered up through the years but but those are the things that I really sort of treasure in my collection
0: amazing all right well yeah I, thanks for sharing that I had no idea <laughs> that that was a thing the the Aladdin what was the the Aladdin boy. The Aladdin boy. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> and the game boy and the super game boy, but they were Sega. That's, uh, mm-hmm. um, all right. That's crazy. The, the next question I've got for you is if you could go back in time to the release day of any console or game, which would it be and why?
1: I would go back to the launch day of the PlayStation two. um, because it was such a big th- deal and it feels like to me was the first time in the history of the industry where l- a console launch was was that big. Yeah, um, you know and so it was that, you know because it felt like it was sort of that next step to um, isn't it weird as gamers? a lot of us, we have always felt like uh, our, our hobby needed to be legitimized. You know, it's not just for kids. (laughs) Video games aren't just for kids, and um, that felt like one of those major stepping stones, where even people who weren't gamers wanted a PlayStation Two, especially since it was a relatively cheap DVD player. Oh yeah, I know a lot of people who bought it just for that. My brother bought one just for that.
0: I mean, I feel like that's Um, what I used my my PS2 for. Like fifty percent of the time was watching absolutely.
1: Yep, absolutely. I mean, it was a brilliant move by Sony. along with that comes some really fond memories because, excuse me, I was just living, uh, I was just starting at EGM around that time. And, uh, there was a Best Buy right next to my apartment in Chicago and I wasn't going to do it. And CJ and I had, we were working together at the time anyway, had said like, you know, well, if the line's not bad, I think I'm gonna go stand in line for a PlayStation 2. We didn't need to. We were we were probably could have gotten them through the magazine if we yeah. wanted to. We just kind of wanted to be part of it. Yeah. And um, so we ended up sitting. I don't. What? When did they come out? November, October, Something November. Like some Chicago cold month. <laughs> yeah, it's not warm. And uh, we ended up sitting outside a Best Buy overnight in line, and it was so cool. It was it was just, it was such a party atmosphere. Um, there were a bunch of guys in front of us who had a generator with a, with a television and their PlayStation. They were just playing PlayStation games all night. Um, and I think I still have the, the, the pre-order tick, They like came out and gave us all tickets oh, and things so cool. like that. And I think I still have that. And I still have this great picture because my apartment was close by. I actually walked back to my apartment at one point to go get us some blankets and stuff. And I was sitting in a lawn chair wrapped in my blanket, um, uh, wearing my EGM hat. And, uh, there's a picture of that floating around somewhere, but yeah, they opened the store the next morning and the first person went in. The best part was the first person who went in, he, he went in bought the thing came out. A bunch of us were still in line and he put his hand up over his head, the bag with the bag in triumph and the bag broke and the PlayStation fell right to the ground. (laughs) I think they replaced it for him, but yeah, it was hilarious. Um, But yeah, it was just, it was just a great moment. Like it, it felt like such a touchstone moment in video game history and to be there and to be sort of, you know, involved in some way, even if it was just as a consumer, um, you know. And it was another one of those things, sort of like a, the Mario 64 story, because I worked at Ziff Davis, I had already played the PlayStation 2 for months. Yeah. Um, I'd already covered Ridge Racer 5. I'd, I'd beaten, I'd unlocked everything in Ridge Racer 5 on that day. I bought Ridge racer five <laughs> and SSX was the other game I bought and I went home and I didn't even sleep. I, I just played them like crazy. I mean, it was such an exciting time to be in, in into games,
0: man. I, I didn't, I wasn't able to get one uh, at launch, but I did buy smugglers run mm-hmm. <laughs> in anticipation for the day that I would finally find a PS two.
1: Nice. <laughs> nice. I remember there was another editor. You might remember his name, uh, Craig Kuyava, who was an editor at EGM at the time as well. And he told a story because he went to, I don't know what store it was. It wasn't Best Buy, but a lot of stores were doing lotteries because they didn't have enough PlayStation 2s to go around. So you get into a crowd and they give out tickets and then they would draw and he ended up winning. He didn't win a PlayStation 2. He he won the right to buy a PlayStation 2. He won the opportunity
0: to buy one.
1: (laughs) Right. But he said he remembered going up and getting it and then they actually had security escorting the people who won off the property to their cars because they were so worried that there was going to be, yeah, yeah. So, good times.
0: Uh, all right. Uh, another question for you is, what is your favorite thing in gaming right now? It could be a game, a genre, hardware trends, whatever it may be.
1: Um, I think that the there's so much discussion now about, uh, you actually used the term FOMO earlier, yeah. <laughs> and a lot of gaming definitely preys on that at the moment, um, and, you know, microtransactions and mobile gaming and all that stuff that I'm not a big fan of, but I will say, um, someone who's followed the game industry now for 35 years or so and, and been part of the press, um, right now I love how diverse, uh, gaming as an industry is. Um, and I'm not talking about, I wish I was talking about, um, actual developers i mean there's a lot of diversity in development sure. now too but there's still a lot of problems there as well yeah. but um i mean as far as like no matter what kind of gamer you are and no matter what you're interested in it feels like you're 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 being catered to yeah in some way you know if you're looking for first person shooters and and like mob shooters and stuff like that you've got them oh yeah um me as a person who plays mostly single player game or wants to play mostly single player adventure games, you know, like, especially on the, if you have a PlayStation, you've got them. Cause that's yeah. Sony is excelling in that, that is, right that now. They're bread and butter. Right. Um, the indie game scene is thriving. I mean, and, and with that comes all these super interesting premise, excuse, premises, and also, uh, these super nostalgic takes on things. Um, I love that there's a resurgence in like racing games now. Cause that's, something that i love as well so i mean you can you can find just about anything um and it, it didn't always used to be that way yeah you know like if you go back even 20 years there were some you know if you were um a strategy gamer on a console let's say if koe wasn't releasing something uh, yeah. new you didn't have anything to play you know it, it was it was that way um and you know <laughs> it, I, you can think of just about any genre. Like, there might have been one or two types, except for whatever was hot at the time. Like, in the mid 90s, if you wanted fighting games, you could get fighting games. Like, <laughs> yeah. they were everywhere. <laughs> you know, and in the late 80s and early 90s, if you wanted mascot games, you could get mascot games. They were everywhere. But, like, everyone was chasing whatever the hot genre was yeah. at the time because the industry was still so small that. You know, you, you, you had to, you had to hedge like that. Yeah, You
0: had to go for what you knew would actually, well, maybe not know, but hope would sell well because you saw this other game just like that was selling well.
1: Right. And then even like 20 years ago, you know, because of Halo, everyone was doing first person shooters and, you know, um, everyone was doing third person action games as well. Like, so Again, if you liked those, you were covered. But if you liked something different, it, it, it was getting harder to find that stuff. But games have become so ubiquitous now yeah. that, you know, you can find almost any game about anything at this point. You'll find something. So that that's what I love about gaming right now. And it's so easy to get caught up, especially um, we had a host, uh, Ethan Einhorn, who, again, very yeah. dear friend. But he really got caught up in the whole, like, I hate microtransactions thing. And, yeah. and I don't blame him. I don't like I don't like them either. Yeah. Um, but that's all he could see. And it and and it's so easy to get caught up in that and get get feeling super negative about the industry. Because, yes, it, you know, if you look at that stuff and you consider it predatory, then you do hate it. But it's such a small piece yeah. of what's out there. And it's something that you're not forced to, de- to deal with. Um from from a consumer perspective. Yeah. Because there's just so much else out there to to take advantage of right now. Yeah, definitely.
0: Um yeah, uh, I I haven't heard his name in a while.
1: <laughs> I hear it from him every now and then.
0: Okay. Say so I hope hope he's doing well and I hope his <coughs> I hope his Vita collection is doing well. And I'm very curious if he's tried to actually keep up with what he said when the Switch was coming out in trying to get all the physical games because there's a lot of damn games for the Switch. Yeah, That's a lot of money to be spending, like going to limited runs, strictly limited games, all Mm -hmm. these different. Anyway, so yeah, hope, (laughs) hope that's all going well for him. Uh, let's see. I've got just a few questions left. Uh, this one being, if you could go back in time to change one thing in gaming history, what would it
1: be? I would love it. If Sega never stopped making game consoles. Yeah. I'd love to change that. Yeah. It would have been nice to see what the dreamcast could have done with a long, like generation long lifespan, because it was a great system, such a great system. Um, yeah. And it's such a shame that it got cut short, but, uh, yeah, that's what I'd love to see. I, I, I don't necessarily, there are people, there are always people who say like, God, I wish they'd start making consoles again. I don't know that the current iteration of Sega would give you what you want. Yeah. Cause it's not the same company that it was, but especially around the time, the end of the Saturn and, and around the Dreamcast time, if you look at some of the stuff Sega was releasing, uh, and I'm sorry if you don't usually have cursing on here, but they were just releasing bat shit, yeah. <laughs> insane, crazy stuff. And it was great. I mean, they were they were clearly just throwing anything at the wall and they were letting their creators just run wild. Yeah. And it was some of their most, most impressive, most iconic work. And boy, if they've been financially stable enough to let those creators keep doing stuff like that, what could we have seen? Yeah,
0: I I was I was so bummed when I heard about the demise of the Dreamcast while having my Dreamcast like but wait yeah. why are more people not buying this this thing is amazing like, like yeah. I I just was playing online like I was playing games on my, I mean I was I was already used to playing games on PC online but I'm like I just I took this to my friend's house and we were able to play internet games on my sega dreamcast like we just had to jack into his phone line i mean come on (laughs) like why are people doing
1: this (laughs) and that's another great point because um sega and if you look at their history uh, mostly to their detriment but they trailblazed a lot yeah they they were they were a little bit too far ahead of the curve on a lot of things but i mean that's a great example right i mean online play on a console way before it was a thing oh yeah You know, and I mean, the Genesis had online play in Japan. You know, I mean, it 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 was even back then, and probably too early. uh, You know, especially the Genesis, but um, also on the Dreamcast, probably too early. But boy, again, if they were financially stable enough to hang around, what would they be doing now? What would they have tried? That was way too early. You know, at this point.
0: Also, I mean,
1: probably NFTs. I don't know, but.
0: Yeah, it, it it also though though young me really liked this to some extent, um, it really was a shame how easy it was to get uh copied games for the Dreamcast.
1: Yeah. Um yeah, the Giga Disc backfired on them big time.
0: Yeah, that's that's it's sad.
1: But to be fair, I mean, that sucks. That's not the reason the Dreamcast disappeared. No. I mean, Sega was in bad shape it, from the nineties forward. Help,
0: but yeah. <laughs> Because I guess, to be fair, a lot of the games that I was able to get through friends that were able to make copies of them, I probably wasn't going to actually buy anyway.
1: (laughs) That's the big that's the big question around piracy, right? I mean, if you look at the amount of time something's pirated, it's like, well, that's how many sales we lost. Like, not not really. (laughs) No, (laughs)
0: Um, I did, though, make good on my copy of uh, Tony Hawk Pro Skater 2. I did actually end up buying the game. <laughs>
1: it was a great game. That's a great version of that game. Oh yeah, it is.
0: Mm. Um, let's see. Another question here for you is what three games would you recommend my audience to play?
1: Well, I mean Streets of Rage two. Yes. Of course. Um, Snatcher on the Sega C D. Go play Snatcher. Okay. Um the only English version is 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 on the Sega CD, and I'm going to stick with the Sega and Sega CD uh, theme here and say uh, Lunar, the Silver Star. Three fantastic games you should be playing. Okay,
0: I have I have not played Snatcher or or Lunar, the Silver Star.
1: Are are well, both of those are both of those Sega CD? Those are both Sega CD games. Yep, uh, Lunar was re released on the PlayStation. In English, um, okay. but it's not the same game. It's called Silver Star Story. It's sort of a, it's a rem, it's not sort of a remake. It is a remake. Um, but yeah, I mean, at this day and age where it's so easy to emulate things, um, try Snatcher and Lunar. Um, they're they're great. Lunar is a great JRPG. Snatcher is a fantastic digital novel from Hideo Kojima. Oh, um, so the Metal Gear guy.
0: Oh, okay. Cause I'm like, yep. I know that I, I know that I've heard things about the games, but okay. Now, yeah. now, now the pieces are coming together.
1: Yeah, no, I love it. It's one of my favorites. You'll probably find it when you watch the rest of that top 100 yeah. list. I'm <laughs> just saying, you'll probably find all three of those.
0: Yeah. Now, now I really need to make sure I get that, uh, what the Mega Everdrive Pro or the, the Mega yes. SD because I mean, as much as possible, I do love playing on my original hardware. Mm-hmm. Um, I just, I'm just not going to go out and get a Sega CD and try to build a Sega CD collection nowadays. Yes, I see that beautiful Tower of Power there.
1: <laughs> I'll, I'll tell you, as someone who has the Tower of Power back there, and someone who has a pretty, like all the games I mentioned are in my library, um, the Mega SD is fantastic because even owning all that stuff, I mean, plugging it all in,
0: yeah. You, you know,
1: that, that stuff requires so many cables, whereas I just have a Mega SG with a Mega SD in it, and I just have access Perfect. to my Sega CD collection. It's fantastic. Again, a wonderful time to be into games, yes. even retro games. Yeah. We have so many wonderful options to play this. Stuff.
0: Yeah, there's so many so many modern options to play retro games mm-hmm. uh, that can, though, they, though there might be a little bit of sticker shock up front. Uh, you're still paying way less money in the end.
1: <laughs> yeah, and and very worth it if you're going to use it. Yes. So,
0: um, all right. Well, I don't have this written down, but this is a question that somebody, based on the last interview, wished I would have asked, which is, what have you been playing lately?
1: I have been. This is going to be disappointing. Um, we have a wonderful community player one podcast community. We're not the most popular podcast out there, but we have this wonderful group of people who have become longtime fans and has sort of coalesced around uh, our show. And so it's allowed me to sort of expand uh, my hobbies a little bit. And we have a group of people that I I race with in Gran Turismo Sport um, that kind of rekindled because of the pandemic, we were all stuck at home and everyone had wheels and everyone had Gran Turismo or had a PlayStation 4 yeah. and could buy it. And we ended up running leagues. So um, I am right now still playing Gran Turismo Sport because we're into the final two races of our two current seasons. <laughs> it's just an old <laughs> game. But um, and super excited because Gran Turismo 7 comes out next week. Oh, so already? happy. Oh, yeah, I'm so happy. Oh, wow. Yes. I'm not happy that the we, the year's going by so fast, but um, yeah, I'm very happy about that. Um, other than that, I've been playing, um, again, I play a lot of retro stuff. I was playing Jurassic Park on the Sega Genesis earlier this week. Um, yeah. I just, I, those, those games are terrible, by the way. Yes.
0: I, so I tuned in when I when it said that you were playing Jurassic Park, but you were already playing, I can't remember the name of the McDonald's <laughs> McDonald's game. Treasure Land. Yeah. <laughs> well, and then I saw that it was made by treasure who made gunstar heroes mm-hmm. and guardian heroes, which guardian heroes is fantastic. Mm. Uh, I mean, not that the, not that gunstar isn't, but yeah, like now, now I want to, now I want to try out that McDonald's game very because good. of treasure.
1: <laughs> it's very good. But yeah, so that's, that's the thing. I mean, uh, I'm always playing older stuff because of, of Twitch, but um the other, I, I have been playing, um, horizon, the new horizon game. Oh, okay. I haven't played it much this week, but I have been playing that a little bit. And, um, like I just recently finished a uh, Yakuza Kiwami as well. And yeah, so I've been jumping all over the place. Nice.
0: All right. Well then the last question is where can people find you in the, uh, series of tubes that is the internet
1: as Al Gore would yes. say, <laughs> um, yeah. So of course, player one podcast, uh, we are recording our 799th episode this week. Oh my God. Um, so yeah, we're, we're, we're pushing 800 been running a little over 15 years. Player one podcast.com. will take you there again. Like I say, you want to listen to, uh, three old men, um, chatting about whatever the heck they want to chat about. That's video game related. Usually sometimes Lego related. Yeah. Um, And Transformers related. But, uh, you know, I think we found a good, a good niche there. Um, we're all, uh, previous video game developers slash game media folks. And so that's sort of the angle we come at things, but yeah, player one podcast every, every Tuesday we release, uh, we have been for 15 years now. Um, you can find me on YouTube. Um, just look me up, Greg Stewart. But uh, Generation Sixteen will take you to my page as well, where again the main series, Generation Sixteen, is running. Um, it's a, a cron series where I've been covering the the, the Mega Drive and Genesis. Uh, by playing and and reviewing the games in chronological order, although I have sort of done a side quest there with the laser active, as you mentioned earlier, Um, as well as sort of other content. There's that top 100 video. I do actually some videos based on the Gran Turismo Sport races that we run. Um, I have also started doing a Let's Read series based on the the magazines that I actually worked at. Yeah, I I saw those as well. Yeah, so I've done two of those so far and I'm working on the third one now. So um, yeah, go check that out. Uh, please uh, subscribe if you like what you see. And um, three times a week on Twitch, twitch twitch.tv slash Seward. I I stream three nights a week to raise money for extra life in the IWK Children's Health Center here in Halifax. Um, Monday nights, I play old adventure games. We just played through The Secret of Monkey Island in the last few weeks, and now we're playing King's Quest V. Uh, Tuesday nights, I'm playing through my retro game collection. We just finished Vandal Hearts, as I mentioned earlier, and now I'm playing Watchmen. The End is Nigh is what I'm playing currently. And then Thursday nights, I play uh, games that have been requested by by people who donate to Extra Life. Um, and this past Thursday was the terrible Jurassic Park games <laughs> on the Genesis for as long as I could stand them. And then we switched to McDonald's Treasure Land. Um, but yeah, uh, again, it's sort of the same thing. Not a huge channel, which is kind of nice because the chat doesn't get out of control. Yeah but a, a group of very nice, very friendly people who like to hang out there every, every night that I stream and, um, they're very welcoming. So come join a fun community. Yeah, I was going
0: to say you, you definitely have a very loyal group of folks, uh, in your Twitch chat. Like I always see the yeah. same names. Um, if I'm, if very I'm ever able to like have the opportunity to jump in and they're, they're all very nice.
1: Yes. I'm, I'm very lucky. That's, I mean, you know, it'd be great to make millions of dollars too, but, but, uh, I, I like where I like where I am here. And then on Twitter, you can find me at Seward, S-E-W-A-R-T.
0: Amazing. Well, Greg, thank you so much. Um, this has been wonderful having you on. Um, I As I put together my list of people that uh, I wanted to interview uh, for this show, you were definitely very high ranking since I've been listening to you uh-huh. for so long. Um, I'll have to see if I can bug the other guys from Player One as well to see if they'd be interested sometime but, um, I'm sure
1: they would. I'll tell them they have to, or <laughs> they're off our show. I don't have that kind of power, but,
0: well, and, and I know that I, I, I can't, it's maybe, I don't know, it's maybe even been a year or so, but I think the very first time I reached out to you was just to say like, Hey, you inspired me to, to actually start fundraising for extra life as well. Um, so thanks for that. Cause you've been doing that for what, 12 years now?
1: Twelve years, yeah. Um, I meant to mention that because I wanted to give a call out on that. Actually, it was twelve years ago, um, and a fellow podcaster. I don't even know if he podcasts anymore, but the show was called That Sports Gamer, and TJ Lauerman is the name of the guy. And he reached out to ask if I would be part of his crew uh, one year and raise money. And that's how I discovered Extra Life. And Extra Life, for anyone who doesn't know, is a wonderful charity where you can play video games, board games, mobile games, whatever. It's usually just for one day a year, although you can do like I do if you want. yeah. and fundraise whenever you like it's it's year round you can choose a local it's a children's miracle network charity where you get to choose a local or whatever children's hospital that's part of that network that you would like to support um me as a dad we have the iwk health center here um which is you know something that i yes am very uh um feel very strongly about supporting. So yeah, I'm in my 12th year. And uh, I think if we keep going the way we're going, we'll have raised over $100,000 by the end of next year. That's amazing. For that hospital. So yeah, I can't believe it. with the first year, 12 years ago, I raised $700 and I couldn't imagine doing better. Yeah, And now we regularly raise over 10,000 a year. I know, it's, so It's impressive. Yeah. Thank you. I'm very, very proud of that. And again, that goes back to That speaks to the wonderful community that we have through player one and through and I have through my Twitch channel, because so many of those dollars have come from player one listeners and Twitch viewers um, that are the same small group who are just highly dedicated, very kind, very generous. I I couldn't I couldn't be happier with the community that we've built up around this stuff. That's amazing.
0: That's the that's the whole reason why I wanted to even start doing any of this was uh, hopefully
1: to to build some community nice Um, makes me very proud I'm really glad to hear it
0: all right well I guess I guess it's probably time that uh, I let you go we get the heck out of here so uh, everyone thanks so much for listening Um, all all of the things that Greg mentioned I'm going to make sure that there are links for it in the show notes that way uh, you don't have to use your brains for things to remember all the places you can just read it tap on it and uh, go subscribe to all the things go go follow Greg everywhere Um, And a reminder to everybody, these interview episodes are also now hosted in a video format on the Retro Game Time Machine YouTube channel. You can head on over there to check it out, and don't forget to subscribe. And lastly, thank you so much for listening to the show. We know there are a lot of podcast options out there, and we appreciate you taking the time to put our words, and in this case, our faces into your eyes, and the words into your ears really does mean a lot uh you can also check out the website at www.retrogametimemachine.com and you can subscribe to this podcast on apple Podcasts, spotify good pods and pretty much anywhere else you can find podcasts Uh, you can join us on discord follow us on instagram and twitter and you can support us at the two and five dollar tiers on patreon may your video games be fun and bye for now